Father, we've gathered here this morning to fellowship. We have feasted at the table of your word in the nine o'clock hour. I thank you for John and and uh, the topic before us of evangelism and and this good news that we have that the world so desperately needs. Father, we uh, we feel the, the the weight of this good news when we lock eyes with you because you are the good news. We, we get you. That's the greatest news the human longing could ever hear. You are the greatest reality. You are the, the treasure that we long for, the, uh, the, the greatest satisfying reality. And Lord, you've created us to, to crave you. And it seems we fill that void with all kinds of worthless, wimpy, unsatisfying things. And so today, I pray that you would just draw our gaze to you, that we would see you as we study your word and that your spirit would would just open our eyes to see your glory and to treasure you even more than when we came. Father, you are good. You are a good, good father. We love you. We thank you for your defining and transforming love. And we worship now together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need a Bible, just wave your hands and these guys can get you one. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. We are moving through this four-week series, exploring the wonder and glory of the Trinity as we can discern from the, uh, the text that we have before us. And there are so many different passages that we could study together to consider this amazing reality of the Godhead. What I decided to do is to break it into into four weeks. One, kind of a survey overview that we had last week on the Trinity as kind of a, a starting point, and then to move person by person through the Trinity. So today, we're going to be examining up close and delighting in the glory of God the Father. One of the greatest challenges to this sermon is, what text do you pick? I mean, how do you even begin? And so I picked Ephesians 1, 1 through 12. I'm probably going to go to 14 on a couple places, but uh, this is one of the most spectacular handlings of of the Father's work that I could think of. And so that's where we're going to go. But the, the glory of God is everywhere. And so we'll be referencing a number of places along the way. I want to give you an overview of the the Father as we have written it in our statement of faith for Good Shepherd. This is what we said. We believe and teach that the Father, the first person of the Trinity, is God. And that He is Spirit, infinite and personal. Thank the Lord that He is personal. He is perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. The fatherhood of God involves both his designation within the Trinity uh, from eternity past and his relationships with mankind as his creator. As sovereign Lord, the Father infallibly knows, righteously governs, and directs all things, having ordained all that shall come to pass according to his sovereign will and for his glory. Now that That sentence right there should absolutely blow our minds. That that is 
Truth with a capital T. That is the Father's work. The all-sovereign God who has ordained all that shall come to pass according to His sovereign will for His glory. In this, the Father is neither the author of sin nor does He diminish the accountability of moral, intelligent creatures. The Father has graciously chosen from eternity past those whom He would have as His own, saving from sin all who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who come to the Father in this way are adopted by the Father as sons and daughters and given the full benefits of His fatherhood forever. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Wow. There's a lot in there. We're going to see glimpses of this today. My goal is to, to, to make this not, not such a, a heavy theological sermon, although this theology is stunning and glorious, but that this would be a, a very deepening relational sermon. My, my longing is, is that as we leave here today, we will love our Father more. We will know Him more personally, more specifically, and appreciate His work in our lives more particularly. So let's begin. Distinguishing among the persons of the Godhead is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. In fact, we have to actually think, well, how is it that we are doing this in the first place? How do you come to a, a Trinitarian Godhead and then distinguish among the persons? One of the things that we've got to remember here is that when we speak of God the Father, we're not speaking of one-third of God. Okay, that's a wrong way of thinking of this. God the Father is not one-third God, and then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, and then you put them all together, then you have God. That is not what the Godhead is. It would be a, a, a maybe a logical kind of pie chart way of thinking of God. But that is, uh, that's not who he is. You can't divide it like that. The Father is fully God. Fully God. He is infinite in wisdom, power, love, knowledge, uh, sovereignty. All of these things. Are un you can't divide these among the Godhead. So how then do we distinguish the Father from the Son and, and, and the Spirit? We can't divide them up like a pie chart. So how do we think about this? We must keep this in view. There have been heresies throughout church history that would wrongly think of the Trinity in this way. The reductionistic thinking, and we reject that. We embrace the mystery of the, the one God in three persons. Remember a bit of what we looked at last week. They are co-equal in essence, or they share the same nature. The, the fullness of, of God's um, excellencies are, are, are shared co-equally among the Trinity. They are all true of all three. And yet, uh, so that's why we can say there's one God. There's one God, one nature, one essence but distinguish now among the persons of the Godhead. So one in essence or nature, three in persons. Three in persons. As revealed to us by God, by creation, by the Word specifically. So this is one of the ways that I would say we can distinguish is relationships. And we saw a little in our statement 
God is both the Father because He's Creator, but He's also the Father because that's what He calls Himself. He is known that way among the Godhead. So within the Trinity, you have, you have a, a person who is referred to as the Father. That's a distinguishing point of reference for us to, to see. He is a personal, relational, uh, one that we can know, interact with, and as, as the Father. We speak to Him, as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. And then we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. These are persons of the Godhead. Fully God, each one fully God, each one distinct in personhood. Mm-hmm. Mysterious, isn't it? Do you feel that? It, it, it stretches categories. It creates new categories. They're, they're both true. God is glorious. The other way to distinguish among the persons of the Godhead is to see their roles. And so last week we concluded with God the Father kind of as the architect of the plan of history. Uh, the author, he ordained it. And then he sent his son to accomplish redemption, salvation. And then the spirit is sent or proceeding from the father to apply then that salvation, to apply it to God's people. The roles among the Trinity. So, one of the things that we can see from Scripture consistently is this, that the father is supreme over all. The Father, God the Father, is supreme over all. And I don't just mean all down here. I mean supreme over all, including the Son and the Spirit. Ooh. That's, is that right? That's right. How, How do I mean this? Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that He is more God. He is not more divine. He is not more powerful he is not more important, okay, in any, in any sense. There's no greater value being ascribed here to the Father. What we are saying is that his relationship with the Son and the Spirit is one of supremacy. He is, he is over the Son and the Spirit, such that he sends the Son, and he, he sends the Spirit. And we'll see more of this as it goes. Um, that the Son submits His will to the Father's will. It, that doesn't mean that the Son is less in that. It, it, it means that there's a role here. There's a function. And the supreme rule of the Father is over all. We have to be careful. We're, we're speaking of the persons of the Godhead, not dividing the essence of God. There is still just one God. I have a question then. Is there hierarchy within the Trinity? Now, here, here maybe, maybe the most important question to ask first is, when you hear the word hierarchy, do you think negative or positive? Is, is, is hierarchy a good thing or a bad thing? What's your inclination? Let's hear. Okay, I, I heard, now you know where I'm going, Steph. <laughs> Not fair. If you're like me, when you hear hierarchy, you tend to think negative. That's, that's scary, right? That sounds dangerous. Is authority and submission, are, are these realities 
negative or positive. See, this is what we've got to wrestle with because we're shaped by the world around us. And the world around us has fallen. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Isn't that what we learned in school? So, no, we shouldn't trust people in authority. It's rule by the people for the people. We're a republic. We know how to do this. Well, we cannot impose our worldview upon God. We have to let the, the Scripture impose its view of God upon us and then look at the world through the lenses of the Word. Here's what I would like to reclaim for us today. Hierarchy is not evil. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Sin will take it and make it wrong. But there is, in fact, hierarchy in the Trinity. The Father is, as you could say, first among equals. He is the Father. And in His role, He leads. He establishes the plan. He, he writes history. And then He sends His Son to accomplish the plan and His Spirit to apply the plan. He is supreme. Build this out. Authority and submission to also happening, functioning, in view, within the, the relation of persons among the Trinity. You see this on display throughout the mission of, of Jesus, but also uh, the sending of the Spirit and all kinds of interactions among the Godhead. There is authority and submission. Well, wait a second, Pastor. I thought that was all a result of the fall. Isn't that part of the curse? Isn't, isn't authority and submission? Aren't we supposed to just all be the same? We are creatures of our culture. We have to make sure that we don't allow cultural correction and even uh, unbiblical assertion to shape our understanding or concept of God, who He is. There is in clarity in Genesis 1 and 2 a pre-fall headship and submission. This is before sin, before Genesis 3 takes place. Think of this. God creates all it is in six days. He commands, don't eat of this tree. I give you all of it. That's a command. Who's in charge? He is the authority in view. His creation is to submit and do his will. That's authority and submission, pre-fall. The angels have rank and order. Uh, Michael, right, the archangel, there is a, a, a pecking order among the army of angels, the hosts of heaven. That is pre-fall, that is in the sense that they are not sinning. Now, some sinned, right? And they were cast down. But there is still this function of God-honoring, glorifying headship and submission that functions. And we see that Genesis 3 curse goes directly at that, doesn't it? Your desire, he says to the woman, will be for the man. and He will rule over you. There's a lot happening in there, but a piece of that is that there will be an inordinate desire in the woman for the man, either for him as a person and his love and, and cherishing, looking to him in, in a way that is, is wholly idolatrous, but also his role to usurp, to take his role as her own. It's a sinful expression, which is why you see such correction of this in the New Testament. The curse as pronounced on the man is a curse on his ruling in a way that is wrong. He will rule over you. That's a dominion rule. That's a, a strong fist, not a humble servant headship. 
like Jesus, who laid down his life for the church. So, you see the gospel-renewed headship and submission that Paul speaks especially of. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is leadership. That is headship. That is spiritual leadership. And wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's good. It's, it's God-honoring. It meets us in, in, in a return to the way things are to be. So, hierarchy is not evil and corrupt. It can be honoring and glorifying to God in, in an echo of His very existence among the Trinity. And authority and submission as functioning in specifically three categories, the Godhead, the church, and the home. All honor God, glorify God. They are good things. We have authority in the church. Who is the chief authority in the church? Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. Tucking under his leadership and shepherding, he raises up shepherds among the flock, elders, and they are to lead and shepherd the flock according to God's word and follow him. And then the members, the sheep of the flock, are to submit and tuck under the leadership of the elders. All of this is God designed authority and submission. A marriage that does not have just one spiritual leader is a two-headed monster. And you're destined for disaster. Men, you are called by God in the New Testament to be the spiritual leader of the home because you're more capable, valuable, more important. No, because that's the role you've been assigned as an echo of His excellence. You see how all of this meets us on Main Street Monday morning? It's, this is practical theology considering the interactions among the Trinity. And so, let's move now into the Father's plan. The Father's plan. What I'd like to do is just read Ephesians 1, 3 through 12, and just look at this in big picture view, and then we're going to move piece by piece through this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here, here's Paul with these awesome run-on sentences, okay? Comma, even as he chose us in him. Now, here's what I'd like to do. I, I want to I want to praise in the pronouns. Okay, so come with me and I'm gonna. I'm going to add in who we're talking about so that we see the glory of the Father specifically in this. Okay? We, we, verse 3, God and Father, who, that's the Father, has blessed us in Christ. Now, verse 4, even as the Father chose us in Christ. See that? The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's an amazing reality. That's amazing. Why did he choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? That we should be blameless before the Father. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of the Father's will. Verse 6, to the praise of the Father's glorious grace with which the Father blessed us in the beloved, that is Christ. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of the Father's grace. Oh, this is stunning. Just, just reading the pronouns 
and seen this work which the Father lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of the Father's will according to the Father's purpose, which He, the Father, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his, the Father's, will. So that we were, uh, who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of the Father's glory. Wow. And he goes on, we'll look more uh, down those verses in a, in, a, in a little bit. But what I'd like to do on your sermon notes, you can just see this kind of build out. The, the work uh, or the plan of the Father, the plan of the Father is this. Uh, in Him we have redemption, verse 7, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. Now, you see that word? According to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan. What's the plan? For the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. This is the plan of the Father. From before there was time, in eternity past, he made this, this, this will, decision, this is the plan. This is the work of the Father, specifically. I want to unite all things in my Son. I want to highlight my grace in my son. And then he went to work. Okay, so the, the, the plan is of old to unite all things in Christ. Now, here is a fun study for you to tackle sometime. Go through your Bible, do a word study on the phrase all things. It is awesome. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I didn't have time to put all the all things up here. But I, I was digging on the all things, all things through the scripture. Incredible. Here is just a glimpse of this. All things. The Father, verse 11, it says that the Father works all things according to the counsel of his will. I was on the phone with someone recently, and this just echoed in my heart as I heard about pain, and I heard about uh, long-term pain. And I'm thinking, be encouraged, Right? Be encouraged. The Father is working that pain. He doesn't waste it. He's working that pain according to the counsel of His will. Now, what does this remind us of? You, does this sound familiar? This all things? How about Romans 8? We just went through this, men's and women's study. Romans 8, I had to go with the New American Standard because I think it's more precise here. We know that God causes, I love that, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All things, triumph and tragedy, sunny days and storms, life, death, all things. He is working all things 
for our good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and, and, and ultimately for the glory of, of, of highlighting his grace in Christ. That's, that's what the culmination of this. So here is a bit of an answer to the problem of evil. Why does evil exist in this world? It fits in that category of all things. He is uniting all things in Christ, and that includes evil itself. He is going to highlight the glory and the grace of his goodness and lavish gift in Christ by employing the backdrop of the ugliness and the darkness of evil to show the purity and glory of the good of Christ. Hmm. Ephesians 1, and 23, He, the Father, put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. They gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is His body. It's Jesus' body, the, the body of Christ, right? That's us. And the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This is part of the plan. The Father's plan to unite all things in Christ. Hmm. And then... Paul just crescendos out with another all things. For from Him, the Father, and through Him, the Father, and to Him, the Father, are all things. To Him be glory forever. This is, this is the Father's plan of old. And His praise is to be, to be raised as we experience the greatness of his love and his work. So let's examine his work. There's so many displays of it in these verses. Just want to move quickly through these. We'll begin in verse, cha- uh, verse 3, chapter 1. We are blessed in Christ by the Father. Blessed in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. How? How, how are we blessed in Christ? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, did he skimp? Or does our cup runneth over? Are are we going to come up short? We're going to run out of grace? Never. That's how lavishly he's blessed us. Now, this is a canopy beginning point because now he's going to build it out for us. This blessing of God is through Christ. Now, this is another thing that just struck me, how often the Father works through the Son and through the Spirit. He works through the other persons of the Trinity. And you'll see this. Blessed in Christ by the Father. Number two, chosen in Christ by the Father. Chosen in Christ by the Father. Even as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chosen for what? chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless before the Father. A a people, a people made holy through His Son. This is the doctrine of election. We dare not shy away from it. We dare not pull back from it. We never should be ashamed of it. Paul begins this letter to Ephesians and goes straight here. This is verse 4. He doesn't even make it four verses, and he is just touting the glory of God in his sovereign choice of those whom he'd saved. It's difficult. It stretches our minds, but there is glory to be had 
And let's just say, there are so many churches that have pulled away or had all kinds of fights about this. No, it's not in there. Yes, it is. No. We just need to say, listen, this is not about John Calvin. This is about the Bible. Okay? Don't attach the doctrine of election to a man only. John Calvin studied these verses. He had some great things to say about them. But so did Augustine. So did Paul. So did Jesus. This is Bible teaching. And we embrace it fully. It is God-honoring and glorifying. It's good for us to love the doctrine of election, even though we don't fully understand it. Just like we love the doctrine of the Trinity, even though we don't fully understand it. So, let's keep going. Verse 4, now verse 5, watch this. Uh, It's actually the end of verse 4. In love. In love. So don't miss that. It's not cold. It's not random. He's not just throwing dice or uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. No, this is love. In love. The heart of God moving in love toward unworthy, undeserving rebels running for hell with all their might. In love, He did what? Predestined. In love, He predestined us. That's the elect. He assigned a destiny beforehand. What is that destiny? Well, keep going. So we've been loved by the Father, predestined by the Father. Number five, adopted. We are assigned the destiny of adoption. Now, here's here's what's amazing to see in this. When the Father does this before the foundations of the world, it is sure to happen. It's not uncertain. This is as certain as the end will be. And he will reign. Those whom he chooses, those whom he sets his covenant love upon, those whom he predestines for adoption, they are going to be sons. He will bring them. They will come to faith in him, made alive through the blood of Christ. It is sure. That's awesome. Been adopted by the Father. Adoption is an amazing thing. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. I I carry your name. I'm a child now. I was a rebel, a hater, bound for hell, and now, now I'm yours. You chose me. You, you, You predestined me for adoption. You saved me. By the blood of your own son. Incredible. These verses speak so much about who the Father is for us. It's according to the purpose of his will. We're going to come back to verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. There's the blessing again, just coming full circle. Number 6, verse 7, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, through the blood of Jesus. We have, we've been redeemed by the Father through the Son. You see this? Our redemption is a gift of God accomplished through the Son. Hmm. We've been purchased by God, bought in blood by God. What's amazing about this is that God is sending His Son to 
die to pay for my sins in such a way that he receives the punishment from God the Father that I deserve. So God is redeeming me and buying me back with the blood of his Son to save me from himself. His wrath that I've stored up, that's love. That's love. Wow. Number seven, forgiven. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of the Father's grace. Forgiveness. Sins removed as far as east is from the west. Why? Because it is finished. Paid in full. Every sin the believer will ever commit, is committing or has committed, is paid for in full. You can't sin your way out. There's never such a bad day that, that you're like, you know, the father's like, wow, I, I thought I had it covered, but wow, that debt grew beyond. No, why? Because the blood of Christ is so infinitely precious. It's there and it's applied and you are forgiven. He sees you righteous as he looks at you through the, the, the robe of righteousness of Christ set upon you. Hmm. Not only that, we are given an inheritance. The Spirit will see as a seal of this inheritance. It's sure, it's certain, it's promised, it's coming. It's the kind of inheritance nothing on this earth has ever known. No dollar amount can even hold a candle to this inheritance. Verse 11 In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. Wow. There are many other things the Father does. I could not even begin to to build a comprehensive list. But I just want to go beyond Ephesians 1 just for a second to show you some of the various different works of, of God our Father. Jesus calls us, in teaching his disciples to pray, he, he calls us to address the Father when we pray. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Now, the question arises, is it wrong to pray to Jesus? No, I don't think it is. Is it wrong to thank the Spirit of God for conviction of sin or uh, all the many things the Holy Spirit does? No, not at all. But, but generally speaking, this is the pattern of Scripture, that when we pray our prayers are addressed primarily, most often, to the Father, as Christ instructed us to do. Our Father in heaven, glorify your name. Hallowed be your name. Make your kingdom come today. Bring your kingdom here. Start with me. And your will be done. Start with me. In this world, on this level, as it is in heaven. Right? And then, provision. So prayer itself is is God's gift. And that's primarily focused toward the Father. Provision. Who are you going to go? When you pray in Jesus' name at your meal, you're, you're giving thanks to who? It's not just general. It's the Father. Lord, thank you for this food. Father, this is a gift from your hand. Thank you. Daily bread. 
Lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from evil. This is a, a prayer addressed to the Father. So we're praying for his protection. When you're asking God for protection, the call is to the Father. Father, bring your protection. Keep us from the evil one. Then you go to Hebrews 12 and you see that there's a discipline role or a correction role. He disciplines the Father, that is, disciplines us for our good. And he compares and contrasts earthly fathers with the heavenly Father. Another text that is just stunning is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it talks about how the Father comforts us in our affliction. So if you're afflicted and you're praying, your comfort, the comfort that so often we pray for as people are hurting or suffering, that is ministered by the Son and the Spirit from the Father. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Our prayers come to the Father only through the name of Christ, our mediator. Awesome. Maybe to sum it up would be this reference here from the book of James. Every good and perfect gift is from above. From who? Just, just general? No. Comes down from the hand of the Father. The Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, see, here's the thing. Sometimes we can worship God a little too generally. And I find as I read Scripture, it calls us to be more precise in these personal relationships that we have with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit is a person. The Son is a person. The Father is a person. It's so amazing to relate, to have an intimate walk with Almighty God as my Father in heaven. He's my Father. Hmm. Every earthly father is just a shadow, a pointer to the Father who is. The Father also gives. He gives. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and that includes the greatest gift, right? He, 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 the Father so loved the world that He, the Father, gave His Father's only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You, when you're trusting in Jesus, you're receiving the gift of the Father for you. That's awesome. What a giver our father is. Jesus says, what, uh, what, what father would give his, his child a serpent when he asked for bread or a stone? And then he says this, you give good gifts to your kids, dads, but, and you're evil, Jesus says. Just imagine how much the father loves to give good things to, to those who ask. He delights to give good gifts to his kids. He says, just ask me. Look to me. Now, the Father's purpose, this is where we're going to land this morning. There's so much more, so many more passages to explore. But, but to bring it to a point of landing this morning, the Father's purpose, you ask the question, why? Why does the Father do what He does? Why is it His plan to unite all things in Christ? What is it, at the end of the day, that is the ultimate aim of the Father. Hmm. It's answered repeatedly in this passage. 
Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Then you go down verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, speaking of the Spirit, until we acquire it, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the Father's glory. His glorious grace. What is grace? It's when I receive what I don't deserve. It's, it's, it's when we get from the Father something way more than we deserve. In mercy, He withholds from us due punishment and He places it on Jesus instead of us. And in grace, He lavishes us through Jesus as sons and daughters of the Most High. Blessing upon blessing. Look at how Ephesians 2 goes. I couldn't just stick in Ephesians 1. I had to go to chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Oh, the echo in so many passages there. His love is, is calling out this grace. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. That's a great definition of grace. We're sinning, we're dead, we're rebels, we're haters of God, and in the face of that, He made us alive. He says, be saved, be saved. See my son, turn from your sins, trust Him. By grace you've been saved, by grace you've been saved. He raised us up out of the mud, out of the mire, out of the pit, out of our slavery. And he seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? Why did he do all of this? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus through whom he has united all things. This is the focal point. That's the purpose. Achieved. It is sure and certain, and this is the motivation of God. He wants to show forth how great His grace is toward people who don't deserve it. The greatest gift that He can give us is Himself, and then to call us to worship Him, to glorify Him. We are most satisfied when we glorify God. So when God says, all that I did for you is going to be the, the theme of your song forever. And the song is, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the best forever you could ever imagine the most soul-satisfying eternity you have ever dreamed of to bask in the glory of a God so great. And it's coming. It's coming through Jesus Christ. My life to the praise of His glorious grace. My days summed up right there. And my future right there to the praise of His glorious grace.
Good Shepherd Community Church, every time we gather, every time we scatter, every prayer we raise, every answer He gives, everything, all things, to the praise of His glorious grace. Back to the call to worship this morning. I just want to land here. Do you see what kind of love? This is what John was seeing. He had seen this. And he was just, he couldn't help but say this. Do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? We, the sinners, the rebels, the haters, we who deserve eternal fire and damnation at his hand, we, we who were saved, redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then brought to him, what love we have. What a gift. What a good, good father. That's who he is. Response this morning. This is the fatherhood of God on display. Some say, well, that's good, Pastor, but uh, you don't understand what kind of experience I had with my father here. When I, when I hear father, I don't think anything good. Quite the opposite. The father that I knew was nothing like this. There are many who struggle with this concept of relating with a father in heaven because when they hear that word father, they cringe or duck some say, Father, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I don't have one. He's not around. I don't know him. You're fatherless. You would love to have a father who would love you this way, but you don't. If you're in my experience, by God's grace, he gave me an incredible father, a godly man who loves me and cares for me and prays for me, teaches and encourages and equips, but he's still a sinner. It's just a shadow. My dad's longing has always been to take my hand and hand it up to my father, who is. That's his role as spiritual leader. Let, Jeremy, let me point you to the one who loves in a way that I can't. The fatherhood of God. It's real. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's land here at Calvary. Let's, let's land here where Jesus is saying, listen, do you want? Do you want to see the Father? Do you want to know him like I do? I, I know him. And by trusting in me, by coming to me, by placing your faith in my finished work on your behalf, you can come to the Father. It's the only way. There's no other way. And so I would just call us today to come to the Father through the Son. Come bend your knee and, and bow before the God who has loved you with such lavish love that He would put His own Son on the cross in your place to pay the penalty of wrath for sins that you've committed and, and to place that on Jesus and to purchase us in His blood so that we could come through His victory and triumph 
and have a father forever. And forever, forever point out how kind he has been, how good he has been, every day through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, God, our Father, lover of our souls, the architect of our salvation, we, we're grateful, we're overwhelmed with the display of your greatness in these verses. We, we're, frankly, we're, we're in awe of who you are. I thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We don't deserve it. We've been saved of grace. You have been so kind to us, lavishing your kindness, and we need forever to, 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 to bask in the greatness of your gift to us through Jesus. Lord, we want to relate with you more precisely, more, more specifically. We want, to, we want to have a relationship with you, Father. We're so grateful for the gift of your Son. We're so grateful for the comfort of your Spirit. Thank you for your incredible plan of old. And help us to, to walk this week in, in, in glory to you, to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.